Welcome back to the Death with Dignity podcast. It's strange recording this without Andrew. He was such a unique and cool soul that touched so many lives. He wanted the podcast to continue after he had passed and continue it will. There's no better way to do that than with today's guests, Andrew's parents, Susie and Steve Flack. Andrew's family and friends visited Oceanside in July and we had a grand old time celebrating the man that brought us together. Before we dive into the episode, I wanted to share an email we received from a listener. It reads, I really feel like I got to know Andrew over the many hours of recordings. It seems like a project that brought him a lot of meaning, and it certainly had a big impact on me. What a gift to have given the world in his final months. He is still changing lives even though he is gone. I was really impressed with how he could coexist with his objectively awful situation. He was down to earth, honest, tender, and open about his reality. He seemed to give himself and others space to grieve while also genuinely finding and appreciating the silver linings, focusing on what was still possible and what mattered to him most in the time he had. I think he set a high bar that we should all strive for in end of life. That's all. Thank you for making this podcast. Andrew clearly had a special crew and he lives on in all of you. It's incredible that someone could listen to the podcast and capture Andrew's essence so well. Recording a podcast became harder towards the end of Andrew's life, but 15 minutes before he passed, at a time where we all saw he was hurting, he summoned the energy to read the Desiderata. That act symbolized how he was throughout his cancer journey. He had a toughness of spirit that is difficult to put into words. Okay, let's get to the episode. Steve and Susie open a window into what it was like the day Andrew ingested the medical aid in dying medication, what the last nine months have been like, and speak openly and honestly about what it is like to be in their position today. Finally, I'd like to give a shout out to Andrew's best friend, Strev who has joined the podcast team. Let's get into it. All right, we're officially back on the Death with Dignity podcast. It is July 16th, 2023. And uh, as Steve or Susie just told me, they're both here with me right now. It is the eighth month anniversary of uh, Andrew's passing. We didn't plan this. It just happened. And uh, we thought we'd get together and just talk about it a little bit. Um, how are you guys doing? We're missing our favorite person right now, and it's obviously weird being here, but we all thought that people could really benefit from hearing about, um, the day of and kind of what people have been going through, some events that happened afterwards, and of course, somebody's at the door right now. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, I think we are back. Um, we had some guests at the door. And uh, just so everybody out there knows, um, Susie and Steve are actually in town, um, and so are some friends. And uh, we're gonna, we have been celebrating Andrew's life this weekend. 
and uh, we want to talk about what happened um, or just like the process of the medical aid and dying process. So I guess we could start uh, with the day of. Um, Susie, I'll pass it to you. Um, I'm sure a lot of our listeners want to know how it went down. And um, it was a beautiful process. And maybe you'd like to speak more about it. Yes, I would. And and I agree. It was a beautiful process. And part of Drew's role with the podcast was to demystify death. And that's one of the reasons we felt it was important that uh, his listeners heard about his final moments. So it was um, just a typical day. And Drew had anticipated that he would take his medicine sometime around sunset. And um, we went through the day and Drew had arranged for his hospice nurses to come. And um, it was probably just about sunset time when he said to us, I think I'm ready. He had spent some time alone on that day. And Haas, refresh my memory. Did he actually read his poem on that day? He did. He read his poem. Um, the story of the poem I, I thought was really good because Steve might remember we were going to actually move the podcast stuff down so he could see the sunset from his window. And he got this last urge to just do one more episode. So about maybe 15 minutes before he took the medication, he recorded the Desiderata, the poem. Um, and it was a really cool moment. Um, it was a very raw moment. I think me, Steve Z and like Andrew were in the room. And uh, we brought the mic to his bed because obviously he couldn't move as much anymore. And um, he, you know, he one last of uh, one last act of just a. It was just a really cool act, I guess, where he, you know, he gave it his all and he read the poem. Yeah, that was a very um, touching part of the whole day because he hadn't really made any plans um, other than he wanted the family to be with him. And um, as Hasban was um, getting the room set up and it was starting to become dusk, he decided he wanted to read that poem. And it was um, it was pretty tough to hear him read through that. And he, he was just great um, how those words meant so much to him. And I think they meant a lot to other people that have heard it since he recorded that. Yeah, the story of that poem is uh, just amazing. Um, I forget which president, but in like the 50s or 40s, um, he heard it. He basically made everybody in his staff um, hear it, and it's just been passed on for a really long time now. Uh, it's a poem by Max Ehrman, I believe. Um, and yeah, that was just one of the epic things that he did, among many things that he did. Um, I think about that day a lot and how perfect it was. You know, like you couldn't plan it. And I guess he did, and he planned a lot of it. And um, it wasn't the original day he was going to take it. Um, two days before, he planned on taking it. We had the nurses come. We all like hung out. Um, we decided to do one final meal, which was the McDonald's. But that kind of backfired a little bit, and his stomach got upset. So we decided, or he decided, that it might not be the day to do it. Um, but the day he did end up doing it was pretty amazing. Yeah, it's it's interesting because we we wanted to talk about that day and I know Susie you want to share some moments about that um some memories but you know he had really arranged it so that the whole family could be out here for 
you know, six to eight weeks ahead of time, we were all able to come out and be together as a family um, for those last, you know, six or eight weeks and spend a lot of time together and talk and um, just kind of like it was, you know, 20 years ago when everybody was still living under one roof. Um, and he he made sure that we had that time and he got to talk to all of us individually and together. And um, that was typical of his approach to his whole disease over those five or six years. He was always the one that was in control. He, you know, brought us all along with his thinking. He did so much planning with his doctor, Dr. Miller, who we all owe a debt of gratitude to, who helped Drew with the whole medical aid and dying process. And um, we were fortunate that that Drew had somebody like him that was such an advocate over these uh, last few years. One thing, you know, before we even get to more details about the day of, even I've wondered is, yeah, those last six weeks were just pretty amazing here. I, I don't think I've lived a period of time that was like that. Um, there was just so much love in this house and among everybody. Um, you guys had guests coming in from all over the U.S. and just everybody that wanted to see him, everybody that was important to him, um, made it out here and we all just hung out. We had barbecues. Uh, you made so much food um, <laughs> and we just had a really good time. And um, yeah, I don't know if you guys want to talk about that, but I know for you guys to have your daughters, your son, just in the same home, you guys, you know, you have, gr you have grandkids now. Um, like what, what was that like being in that moment, knowing the moment that you were in? You know, it's um interesting because we all knew what the outcome would be. We were here to support Drew in his death, but those those weeks leading up to it were so amazing and and the comfort of remembering those times really helps me get through the dark periods um we did like you say just have so much fun and friends from junior high um flew in to spend a few days with Drew i felt like the place was a revolving door and uh it just kept getting better with each new visitor so that is something i'll always treasure yeah, and um, we would hang out here in the day, we'd party at night, there was different groups, everyone had their own schedule, but we would just all come together uh, for Drew, and uh, or because of Drew, I guess, and um, yeah, I thought about those times a lot too, um, just having you guys at the house, um, when you guys left, it was definitely really, really hard, um, but what's it like being back at the house right now, you guys are pretty courageous i think to like even be out here and um you're following in the footsteps of your son and uh being here doing this podcast and even being in this house right now yeah i'm not gonna lie i um i got really anxious about coming out a few days before my flight and um as a former special ed teacher i i called texted haas and asked him to take a picture of the living room which i'm <laughs> sure he thought was really odd but it uh, was a visual that I looked at and I thought, I can do this. It's nothing to be fearful of. And as soon as I got here, I realized, yeah, this is where we're meant to be right now. And it is a good way to honor Drew being here, going to all his favorite spots, hanging out with his friends. So I, I'm very happy we made this decision. Yeah, it was 
we always love coming to Oceanside and seeing you guys. And, you know, Drew lived here for a long time. And um, I think the hardest part was when we walked in wasn't so much just seeing the house, but I know walking back down the hallway to his bedroom. And that was tough just because the last memories that I think a lot of us kind of retained were that sunset and all of us gathered around the bed before um, he took the prescription. And it was such a beautiful evening and the sun was going down, but that, I still see that. I walked in during the day and I could still see that sunset and it just felt like we were all here with him again. And, um, you know, he was getting ready to, to move on. Yeah, I thought he was really bold with how with how he did, how he, how he went through the process because it's um I've been listening to old episodes and I could see that his you know he asked people the questions about you know what their loved ones did during that day, and I'm sure he thought a lot about it himself, and uh, the way he approached it was very uh, graceful, I guess. The other thing that um, when you were talking about all of the people that came to visit him for those few months, you know, um, it was amazing how he would take time with each of those people, like before they would head back to the airport and he'd have a private moment with them because it was all very difficult for, for them. Right. You know, every time somebody said goodbye, everyone kind of knew it was going to be the last time they would see Drew, but he took it upon himself to make those moments pretty special. And he always had private moments with, you know, former classmates and hockey players and work colleagues and friends. He had a, he had a moment with them. Um, and I think that was pretty meaningful. Yeah. He made sure everybody was okay. And even, um, with me, you know, with everybody being around, it wasn't just me and Drew at the house anymore. And we didn't get those moments. And I remember like, I was like, Oh, those moments that those opportunities are gone now, you know, everybody's here. But even then in the morning, as soon as he saw me wake, wake up, he would uh, like invite me like over to the couch where he was and we'd smoke a J and just talk <laughs> and still get our conversations in about life, you know, the podcast about every little thing that we talked about. And yeah, it's amazing how in his whatever like lucid moments he had, he was thinking of other people. Um, I want to talk a little bit about that day of and how he planned it and a couple of things that he did. I thought about that a lot. Like, um, for example, we all got together and we watched The Office. That was really cool. Mm -hmm. I remember we watched a couple of episodes. We just hung out like we did like every day. Um, we knew it was going to happen a couple hours from now, but he kept it pretty normal. Um, I remember he just had some thoughts for us about um, how we should all stay connected and just send each other a text now and then. And, you know, just, um, I think he wanted all, all of us to, yeah, just stay connected. Yeah, he did. That was really important to him. And we made a promise to him that we'd get together at least once a year. So I have to keep that going forever. Yeah, agree. Um, uh, I, I want to ask you guys, like, you know, um, I I obviously didn't see you guys after you left as much. Um, we had a, a memorial at um, his high school, which I don't want to get the name wrong of. 
but I thought that was a really special time and maybe the most like amazing uh, memorial I've ever been to. I don't know if you guys are, if you guys want to speak about that. Yeah, that it was so wonderful. Um, Andrew was, as you know, a special ed teacher at uh, Mission Hills High School, and he um, had such a wonderful community there of teachers, students, and parents that supported him. The school was gracious enough to allow us to use the library facility, and we had a gathering to honor him back in um, December. And it was just a beautiful experience. So many people attended, his hockey friends, his um, Nevada house friends. Um, Most of all, what sticks with me is that many of his students were there. And it was so incredible because a few of them spoke. Some of the students are nonverbal, so they used a device to get their point across and They were all beautiful sentiments of how important Andrew was to them as um, their teacher, something I'll never forget. It was just a beautiful afternoon. And then we also had a celebration of life back in Chicago in January, which equally was as amazing with many people. Really had a tone of more of just a party than a, uh, you know, we were there to celebrate someone who had just passed. Um, Everyone was just happy. We had a lot of pictures set out, and it was a beautiful day. I think the, um, it was great because the California um, friends and family and work colleagues could come here in California, and then some of you guys like Haas and Z came back to Chicago. Um, But the celebration here in California you're right, the, the kids that spoke and then some of their parents and the stories, um, everyone got a chance to say a little something about what they remembered about Drew or how he had touched their lives. And then the special ed community planted a tree for Drew out on the on the grounds. And um, I know we're planning to, to go see that. Apparently it's just started to bloom um, at this time of year, so we're going to try and make a point to get over there and and see the see the tree. Yeah, that memorial at um his high school uh, was fantastic. Uh, I didn't. I mean, we talked about the special ed community a lot, but I never got to actually see him work, you know, and teach. And just what those parents had to say was incredible. They were, you know, just as sad as family or anybody. It's like you know they lost one of their loved ones. And, um, yeah, I was, like I said, I was floored by that. And, um, even like the security guards at the school spoke, it's like everybody who, you know, there was just so many people that wanted to say something and there was such a diversity of people. It's not just, it was the people that he was close to, but even the people that he just sometimes said hi to or something, they were touched by the words that he had for them and how like motivating he was. Um, and yeah, that was really special. Remember that last one of the last weekends, he wanted to take us out to the school, and he took us on a little bit of a walking tour, all of us. And he wasn't as mobile at that point, and he still made it, you know, around. And we were all amazed that it didn't matter who came walking by; they all said hello to Drew, and including like the security guard and the janitors, and 
there were just people that um, were so happy to see him on the school property and, and say hello to him. And I, I remember that it was a nice sunny day. And uh, we also got to talk to his principal, who that community was just fantastic, the way that they allowed that service to take place in December. And we were grateful that, you know, so many people were able to come and spend that day. Yeah, he um he was really good at being alone, but he was also, his specialty was with people. And that's why we're on this podcast. That's why we're doing all this. Um, One thing, like, I want to go back to the day of is I was just thinking about the fact that, like, even on the day of, he spent all that time with us and he was making sure we're okay, but he took some time for himself and he spent, like, half an hour to an hour um, obviously contemplating, you know, the day and what was going to happen. And uh, I felt like Drew had a really good balance of that. Um, yeah. I can remember that day um, just before we were just sitting on the couch and he said, I think I'm ready. And he got up and then we eventually all followed into his room and he laid down on the bed and we, we all laid down, kneeled down beside him and kind of grabbed a piece of him. And we went around and shared our favorite memory of Drew. And then he took his medicine, and within two minutes he was snoring, which was such a peaceful sound to us because the poor kid hadn't slept for months. And then within two hours he passed, and during those two hours we just stayed there and listened to He had made a playlist for the moment, and we listened to that. and. Um, it was really a beautiful process, and I think he would be happy that we were sharing what it looked like. Yeah, his playlist was awesome. The, he had Tom Petty, The Beatles, uh, Pink Floyd. Harry Potter. Harry Potter, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all, all, all of his favorites. And uh, he actually saved that playlist, or um, I still have that playlist. I think I've shared it with you guys. And uh, every now and then I'll go back and... Um, there's a Tom Petty song called uh, Something Good Coming. It's one of my favorite songs now. I, I, I had actually never heard it before that day. Um, and yeah, he, he picked the perfect songs for us, I feel, and for him. Um, I want to talk a, like a little bit about like afterwards, too. Um, you guys want to talk about how you uh, dealt with it, I guess. I mean, you guys lived through a really heavy experience. Um, you know, the the death of your like youngest son um or i guess like only son and uh it's weird even saying that out loud um and maybe you guys want to talk about that because i think we all talked about the fact that the reason we're here is hopefully you know we can share some stuff that might help other people that might go through something like this well i know personally for me you know it's obviously been up and down struggle some days are really good other days are really difficult. Um, I remember talking to Drew, and Drew, one of Drew's biggest fears was that I was just going to wallow away in grief and possibly even become a hoarder. Neither one has happened. I've hmm. made sure to honor Drew's memory by trying to live large, getting out and staying active, recognizing that he would want us to be active and um, enjoying our lives. Um, Drew had a birthday. His birthday would have been on May 15th. And 
I think we all did something special to celebrate. One of his sisters planted a tree. Um, we sent pizza to his classroom. I shared a love of Harry Potter with Drew, so I took myself to Universal Studios and did every ride there, and I think he was riding along with, with me while I was screaming on those roller coasters. So that was a great way to spend his birthday. But, it, you know, it is a constant struggle waking up every day and knowing you're a grieving parent, um, but you, you keep going, and I, I just keep taking comfort in the fact that Drew is no longer in pain. It was so difficult those last two months in spite of all the support, watching him decline, that was really hard. So I'm, I'm so thankful that he lived in California and had the option to use medical aid in dying to um, go out as, when he felt he was ready and to do it with such grace. Yeah, that's, there's no question that we're all grateful that he had that option. And None of us really knew if he was going to avail himself of that option. We were never really sure because he was in so much pain for literally years. Um, you know, there were times we'd visit him and he'd be back in his room and he probably didn't think any of us could hear him, but we could all hear the pain that he was in. And never knowing how that was going to play out, I think it gave him comfort that he had that option available to him if, in fact, he decided he wanted to take advantage of that, which, which he did. Um, and he kind of brought us all along on that process. Um, but in terms of, Haas, when you were asking about the after effect, I, the two things I remember most, one is when we were packing up to leave because we had been here like six, eight weeks straight and it kind of disrupted your life and Z's life. And you guys were hosting us here at the house and we all were felt bad about leaving you alone. Um, because you know, it went from a whirlwind of having literally dozens of people coming through the house to you guys being alone. And I think we were all concerned about that. Um, but I know that, Drew pops up in mysterious ways, um, and I know you guys have talked about that. The one memory that I have that's vivid, we used to talk about hockey all the time and the Blackhawks, and he used to talk about Connor Bedard and how great would that be if the Hawks got him. And of course, through Drew's... Uh, <laughs> probably willing it, the Hawks were able to draft Connor Bedard. And I, I remember hearing that and I literally reached for my phone like to text him. Um, and that's, you know, that kind of stuff would happen regularly where you wanted to share something with him, but you couldn't. Yeah. Um, the, I thought about, I mean, because I got to know your family so well, you know, it seems like everybody processes grief differently. and yeah, I want to ask you guys, was it a challenge like processing your own grief while also, you know, you guys still have chil children children that were there that day who you want to help as well and be there for? Um, how did you guys find that balance, if at all? You know, it's hard. Yeah, that is a um, difficult struggle. Um, the girl, the girls, you know, obviously have, have grieved in their own way and um, we've attempted to be there to support one another. 
but um, it, it's been a whole process for all of us, the grief, and we we do text often when we think of Drew. A lot of times on the timeline of Google Photos, he'll come up and we'll share that, and we, we've just tried to support one another as time continues. Um, go on, Steve. I think what's been really um, something to see is the way that the girls have, you know, with Shay and Alex have done a good job of explaining to the four grandkids that Drew's no longer here, but how they celebrate, you know, Drew's life with them, whatever chance they can. And, you know, since we've been out here, even this the last few days, they've been you know, FaceTiming with the kids and reminding them that they're at Uncle Drew's and um, they've done a pretty darn good job with those kids. Would would you have any, um, have you learned anything about grief as far as like um, coping with it? Any um, advice or thoughts or anything you would want to like elaborate on that might like help someone else that's going through the same thing? I think one of the things for me, and I do see a therapist to help me cope with it, is just the the waves that I'll be feeling absolutely fine and then something will hit me or, or trigger me, whether it be a song of, that was one of Drew's favorites or something. And then, you know, it's like you relive the whole experience. Um, and I don't think that will ever go away. I think obviously the pain will lessen but it will always be there in some form. Um, so just, again, trying to live good quality life and compensate and and know that we're doing that in spite of the tragedy we've been through. It's, it's interesting because you said it earlier uh, as about people process, you know, grief differently. We, we all do. Um, I know talking with other people that had met Drew and seen what he was going through and talking to them about that was helpful um, because sometimes, you know, you, you keep a lot of that inside you and you don't share it. And it's it's good to be able to share with other people who feel the same way about, about Drew. Um, I think the big thing that we all had in our minds was trying to make sure that we honored, you know, his life about trying to be there for everybody in the family and be supportive and, and live, you know, the way that he wanted everybody to be together, stay in contact and support one another. And, you know, he did such a good job of demonstrating that you know, on a day-to-day basis and always putting everyone else first, you know, before himself. I think um, being a special ed teacher, I feel like I didn't think about that like enough about him, but I think like how thoughtful and considerate he was must stem from that or just maybe how he was raised or something about him. Um, But yeah, when you're going through that much pain, and you're still thinking about like others, uh, that's like the height of consideration um, for others. Yes, he did. He did attempt to have everything in order for us, and 
left us some detailed notes about his wishes, which really have been helpful in this process. One thing I learned is that he wrote a lot at the um, towards the end of his life or just the last month. I don't know if it was just the last month or two, but in general, he started writing on everything. I found uh, like envelopes. I know he had notebooks. He had a journal. Um, seems like uh, I always wondered what he did at night, you know, because he had such a hard time sleeping and poor guy was in pain, too. But it seems like he was always doing something. And instead of just like wallowing, he kind of was productive and even in his worst times and I'm sure you guys do as well, but I draw so much inspiration from that. He wrote an awful lot of notes and cards to people. I, I know my mom um, always had wanted to come out here to California, but it was hard for her to travel. And um, she, there was nothing better in her world than getting a card from Drew. Yeah, Drew got me into cards too. Now I write a lot more cards than I used to. And yeah, he was really thoughtful with stuff like that. That's funny you mentioned that because I just made it my goal to send a couple cards every month to people I haven't been in touch with for a while. And I uh, attribute that to Drew as well. I, I've, been, I've been thinking a lot about... Um, from your guy's son, I feel like I learned how to live life a lot because I got to see, um, I think he was always a really cool guy, but his um, disease and what he drew from it and the, you know, like kind of the warrior he became, he was always like, a, he was always a hockey player, but <laughs> to see him, you know, firsthand take that hockey mentality and take it into battling, battling cancer and just the small things that. I got to see him do on a day-to-day basis that I didn't think too much about. I feel like um, those things we all know, you know, what I'm talking about. It's all the stuff he said on the podcast before, the stuff that people send emails about. But I feel like he lives through us in that way. Um, Yeah. One thing that really um, comes to my mind because I had visited him as well as Steve a number of times throughout the years while he was sick. Um, But it wasn't until I ended up retiring early. I am a special ed teacher and I left a couple years earlier than I intended. Um, And I was out here for those couple months with Drew before the family came out. And it was then that I realized how horrific and how cancer is like a full-time job just juggling all the appointments and everything else. Andrew had done such a good job of keeping all that to himself and managing. I didn't really realize how much it took out of him until I was here for an extended period of time. And it just surprises me how well he was able to cope. I really feel like it was an act of love for you guys. He mentioned to me that, you know, he didn't he didn't, especially you and um, Katie and Kelly, he didn't want you all to have to see that, you know, and be a part of it. And I think it was such an act of love to spare. And I guess, I, I don't know what the right answer is here, but so I'll be careful with my words, but you know, to maybe spare of you guys, like of those thoughts and right. times. But I also thought it was beautiful how, how at the end he let you guys in. Right. Um, Because I know you and Steve like helped him a lot in that last two weeks. and. That was really cool. Um, I, I mean, it was a very honorable thing to do because, 
you know, there's nothing like your mom, the the time that he spent with you. I mean, it made me change how I treat my own mom, like, like honestly. Um, and you were such a focus of his life for the last two years, especially after you, after you retired. Um, I know one of the things he said that he wanted to be alive till you retire. And then he kept going longer. Um, and the relationship you guys had, just the way you guys hung out, um, yeah, all day, it was just like best friends. Um, it wasn't really just like mom and daughter, uh, sorry, mom and son. Um, but, uh, that was really cool. I don't think I've personally ever seen anything like that. I, I don't really know of many, uh, mother son relationships like that. And yeah, it made me like jealous and how I got, I got closer to my mom after that. Oh, I learned so nice. much from that. Yeah. Drew was one of my best buddies and, um, I'll always really treasure that time that we had together. He made me laugh up until the very end. <laughs> he was, um, what was really interesting about his journey through this whole process early on when he was first diagnosed, Susie and I were like pretty well involved with him and the doctors and the options and the treatments and the surgeries. But, you know, probably three, three years into it, something like that, he began to take a lot more control over his own care, and he probably knew where things were headed, and that's when he did a lot of the, the planning for the medical aid and dying with Dr. Miller, and I think one of the most memorable parts of that whole process is when you and I came in to go visit with Dr. Miller after Drew had been, you know, talking with him and planning for that for quite some time. And I think we had like a 15 minute appointment and ended up staying there for well over an hour. And when we were walking out of there, I remember thinking about how difficult it had been for him to get to that point and how he had tried to protect the family and let everyone know that he had this in hand. And he carried on with that approach, you know, right up until um, the last couple of weeks when he did finally let us in. And, um, you know, I know I got a much deeper understanding of the caregiving that you and Z had been providing to him for, you know, for years and how selfless that was because. He really needed a lot of, you know, help at that point. And um, we were always grateful that you guys, he had that. Um, we could go home knowing that he was in good hands with you guys. Um, that's very nice of you to say. I told him the same thing as um, what I got from him, you know, um, just be having the honor. And um, we had a different relationship because we were still like, roommates you know roommates have their own relationship as i've told you but when we would go into that room um we both were in the zone and we knew what we were doing and we had some of our deepest talks you know it was a a really uh obviously we were in a situation that n neither of us would like to be in i obviously i didn't want him to be in it a poor guy had to just you know go through pain but he would even in that moment you know when i say all these nice things about him is because i know I mean, I, I'm just the one doing the doing the thing. He's the one that has to go through it. But even in those moments, he would actually, um, he would try to like hype me up or talk me through it. And, you know, like the dude is going through pain and he's like, 
trying to hype me up, you know, <laughs> telling me all these nice things um, in, in moments where he could be, you know, I know, I just know what he was going through. Um, and yeah, those moments I, I draw so much inspiration from and I just learned so much from him. You know, I, I think he was supposed to be a part of my life. Um, and I'm so just grateful that I met him and it changed the course of my life in such a positive way. Um, you know, he gave me confidence that, you know, you could have friendships that are that strong and real. And yeah, that for me, that was like everything, I guess. It's so ironic that we're sitting here now with the lady in the red dress. I'm Gloria. I'm staring, <laughs> staring at her. We're in the living room of Haas and Z and Drew's house. And that was the first thing that I saw when Drew first moved out to California in the log cabin. You'd walk in the house and there was Gloria on the wall. And here she is, you know. I feel like Drew made life a lot of fun. You know, like the word fun was used a lot, but he always found ways to make life fun, whether it's just chilling, you know. I always felt like comfortable when there was a lot of people and he was around. Um, he was kind of life of the party and he was very aware of everything. Um, him and Z both share that in common. So when they threw a party, they were both just in the zone. Um, but like we talk a lot about his strength and stuff, but man, he was just a fun dude. That's why there's so many people, there's so many different types of people that like gravitate towards him. He was just fun. That reminds me of um, one of, I think, Drew's special talents was the ability to connect different people with one another. And um, Drew would always go over to his friend Mr. B's house on a Friday afternoon and um, a few months ago, Hasban, I think you called me or texted me from there that you were over at Mr. B's yeah. for a sesh Friday night session. And I was just so proud. And I thought that that is just so awesome that Drew made friends and that you're keeping those connections and he would be so happy with that. I thought about that a lot, actually, that, you know, um, Everyone has their own relationship with Drew, and I always, you know, felt, um, you know, at point, I just felt like a roommate, that's all. Um, but even with me, I feel like he left so much behind, um, not just friends, relationships, there's so many small things. Um, even his lawyer recorded something for Compassion and Choices, and she shouted me out, and I just couldn't believe it. I was just like, you know, um, it just like, yeah, he just left so much. He thought so much of about all of us and um, that Friday night group or some like other friends and people that like reached out to me, even this podcast. Um, what a man to like, you know, leave this, leave stuff for us behind, you know, he knew he was going to pass, but he thought about our lives afterwards. Yeah. And I just think about that probably like most often. Right. Um, I wanted to, uh, talk, um, about like him actually taking the, um, a medication like a little bit. Mm -hmm. Um, so he takes the medication and he falls asleep for the first time we've, that we've ever seen him for me, because I lived with him through most of his cancer journey. I don't think I really ever saw him sleep. Um, you know, he, he closed his eyes, but he was kind of always, it seemed like he was always up. That scared the hell out of me too. And I was like, I don't know how you're doing this for this many years. 
Um, but he did it, and you know, and that was the first time I heard him snore. Um, that was kind of cool. Yeah. And um, even his last words were pretty funny. Like as I remember, you know, he told us all like a memory, and I think I think he said something to Kelly or somebody, and he said. I'm happy, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, and then um, I think his final words might have been something like that. Yeah. Right. Like, I'm happy. I'm happy. Yeah. And that was really cool to hear. And he took the medication with some raspberry sh- sorbet. Yeah, sure. And he didn't want to give up the uh, spoon. He he kept licking that spoon. Get all that <laughs> sorbet on there. Yeah. And the like, uh, we also had those two like nurses with us and one of them uh was named freya forget the name of the other but the people um at the hospice company or like organization were really like amazing too and i wanted to give them like uh, a shout out so i think you guys started like a i think you started hospice a week before uh he took like the medication right Mm -hmm. he was on hospice for a week just so he can get stronger like medication because his condition was deteriorating Yeah. Yeah. yeah, he he was always in control of his own treatment and his meds. He was pretty good with, with all of that. Um, and he kind of resisted using hospice. Um, mm-hmm. But he also wanted to make sure that hospice was available in case, you know, something didn't go to plan. So there'd be some, you know, medical professionals here to help support the family. And they were great. Um but he really directed everything right um, up to the day that he took the prescription. And he had the um, medical professionals mix up the prescription. Um, he didn't want Steve or I to have that on on us, even though we both volunteered. And um, so that was really something that comforted him to know that we weren't going to have to be the ones to mix that up and administer it. and. Like you said, Haas, the people at, from hospice were just amazing. And um, I still get phone calls from grief counselors needing if I know, needing to know if I need some help or anything. So they're still reaching out. Yeah, those people are really amazing. Um, I have very little experience with uh, death before this, except maybe my grandma. Um and I have to say, those people are like angels. I mean, yes. there's like a glow to them, um, the way they talk to the patients. And yeah, um, I couldn't say nicer things like about them. And yeah, I'm really happy that they were there for like Andrew and he like did that. And one thing I guess I want to point out to everybody is, you know, like the medical aid and dying process. Uh, I, I listen to podcasts myself and I'm like, thinking what point is Andrew going to pull the trigger? Because I think, Steve, we talked about this too. When he talked about it with us, nobody tried to influence him in like any way. He would he would just kind of tell us what he's going to do. Even though we're all here, we never asked him questions about what day is it going to be or how our, 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 how our schedule is affected. That was really cool of your family too. You guys were just here. You know, there was no end date to it. or um, It's not like, because obviously we, everybody has a life and stuff like that, but um, you guys were just here, and that was really cool. I know your daughters have kids and families, and it seems like everybody came together, and they were like able to spend time here. Um, but 
I guess I want to point out to people that it's not like Andrew. I don't think Andrew took the medication early, if that makes sense. Like, I don't know how to talk about this. He was, he he gave it his, his all. Like, he lived life to almost to the end, to the point where obviously at one point your quality of life is just not there. And, um, you know, I, I really think as like a, I was really impressed with how far he pushed his own body and his will. Um, I told the story, to, I tell the story to a lot of people that, you know, he passed in, in November and like that July, he was already feeling real bad. And even then he flew to his friend's wedding in like Chicago. And I know how much pain he was in and how tough that flight was for him, but he still did it. And then even when he got there during the ceremony, he was in the sun. It was like 90 degrees or something. And he was in the sun and in his condition, he was, he just willed himself through it. And uh, that's just one of the, those like warrior tidbits about him. And there's a lot of them, but I guess I just wanted people to know that, that not that it matters. I mean, I think you could take the prescription at any time you feel comfortable, but he really willed himself to as much life as he could. I agree, Haas. I, I feel like that wedding, I, I believe it was September 10th. I'm not sure of the exact date, but I um, had anticipated and I said to someone, I feel like Drew is holding out for this wedding and then things are going to really take a dive for the worst. And I do think he did will himself to be there because I was with him at the wedding and yeah, he was just racked with pain and yet nobody knew. He just kept it to himself, and it was amazing that he could withstand all the activities of that weekend. It's also, I think, important for people to to understand that having the option that he did made his life a little bit easier. He would say to us, you know, as a family and individually, that he wasn't sure that he would ever use that prescription and that he really preferred to just pass in his sleep. That's what he had hoped. But of course, as we were just talking about, he didn't really sleep much. Um, and that was a hard thing. And he did, he pushed on for a lot longer than, you know, we all thought was possible because he had so much pain. And even though, um, he got great treatment, um, and had good meds, it still was a constant battle, you know, each and every hour for him. And he, you know, had the option available. And uh, unfortunately, not everybody does. And I think that's one thing we wanted to touch on in this podcast today is, you know, making sure that people have the option and you know, I think we all have really grown to respect the work that Compassion and Choices does as an organization. Um, it's important for people in that situation to have that option available to them so that it brings them a little bit of comfort and hopefully makes their journey, you know, a little bit more manageable. I'm not sure those are the right words, but it was, he always was he took some comfort in knowing that he had that option. Yeah. Um, you know, with medical aid dying and obviously it's probably a charged subject because there's religious people that don't want it like available, but 
after seeing the process because even talking about this topic it was a little it's a little strange i'll be real um but after you know i think drew gave me the hers as well um after seeing him being able to talk about it and seeing how it affected just having it affected i think it reduces the like um the anxiety of everything just knowing you have a choice and an option i think that helped him live a more dignified life and gave him options i think everyone deserves that option it's really hard for me to sit here and say that someone shouldn't have it because i think they shouldn't or something like that that just seems really wrong but we do stay and we want the listeners to know that we have stayed active with compassion and choices and hoping um i live in illinois and i've been doing some work and we're hoping to move the movement along, get more people involved and recognize the the benefits and, um, you know, know the guidelines of medical aid and dying. And it's, um, I, I hope I'm getting this information right, but Oregon and like Virginia now have removed their like residency laws, which means that anybody who's in that state can avail the option which I think is actually pretty amazing um, that these states have done that. I, I, I know the Supreme Court might go like after this law, so on a federal level, it's still um, it's still up for grabs, I guess. But it's yeah, just the fa- you know we've talked to Dan Diaz, Brittany like Maynard's like husband, and just the fact that it's just sad. Like people in their worst moments, you know, in their most vulnerable, still have to figure out how to get to a different state just to relieve their um, suffering. I mean, to move all your stuff and actually take it to a different state, that is um, not something that I hope people have to go through, but I know they do. Um, I guess to close it off, I I, I had a couple of questions for you guys, but um, one of them that I had written down was, what does it mean for you to move on um, from your experience? I know it's still pretty early. It's nine months. Um, you're only nine months, no, eight months in or nine months in? Nine months in. Today is actually the, the like the ninth month, I think. Today's the eighth month. Eighth month? Okay. We're getting a little... Well, I guess, <laughs> all right. We're, we're in the same ballpark. But yeah, it's still pretty early. And uh, I guess what does it mean for you guys to move on? Or um, what, what does it mean to find, yeah, a way through this? Well, I think for me, again, it's just trying to move on with a positive mindset. Um, when I do start feeling, you know, a lot of grief, I, I just reflect on Andrew's attitude and, um, you know, hoping to continue to move on in that way, in a positive way and and treat people more like he did and to um, continue working so with compassion and choices so hopefully this is available to more people in different states um in terms of moving on you know i'll, I'll never obviously forget andrew i i feel like he'll always be a part of me and and um guide me through through my journey this continues and finding a new normal Yeah, I think that's what he wants for you guys. Steve, did you have um, any thoughts about that? 
Yeah, I I think when you think about moving on, um, I'm not sure that I'm fully processed everything at this point. Um, I know that I wake up in the morning, and usually the first thing I think about, I try to think of something positive about Drew's life, and then I've got this little saying to myself, particularly if I encounter something that's a little more challenging, and it's just, what would Drew do? Um, and I think to that sometimes like if something isn't going quite right, um, but we all process it differently. I still don't feel like I fully accepted that he's, you know, not, not here because I feel like he's here or when the family gets together, I think we all just feel him with us, but I don't know if I've, you know, moved on to accepting that he's not here yet. One thing I do have, we know Drew used to enjoy smoking weed, so mm-hmm. I have an alarm set every afternoon at 4.20 that goes off, and regardless of what I'm doing, I just look up at the sky and give a big shout out to him. <laughs> That's great. Uh, I know he'd be really happy about that one. <laughs> <laughs> um, Yeah, he would often remind us when it was 4.20, and... uh even with like weed and marijuana, I feel like it was just a way to bring us together, you know, um, to like, yeah, to have those conversations. Um, yeah. And do you guys have, I don't, um, I don't know if you guys have any notes on this, but Drew had some final messages that he, um, said to us and just some thoughts that he left us with. I know he talked about being kind a lot and, I know it's so cliche and stuff, but I think it's actually a really deep thought as well, um, the way that he was saying it. And uh, when it comes from somebody who's actually going through the shit, you know, it's way different than me saying it, you know. But uh, he channeled it in some of his toughest moments. And I don't know if you guys have any, yeah, memories of things he said or um, his life philosophies. I think he used to stress, and especially as his cancer progressed for me to just be in the moment and really focus on the moment. And I'm trying to do that more frequently and be present and really mindful of, of what is going on at the moment. Yeah. He, I think the other lesson is he was always trying to bring everybody together, including everybody in our family. And you know, he constantly was trying to keep the lines of communication open with everybody and trying to lead a, you know, a positive example. And he also, you know, was, there were no conversations that were off limits with Drew. Um, He, if he saw something and he thought like he could be helpful or he thought that somebody needed you know, to hear some words that might not be something they wanted to hear. I think that last year he made a point of making sure that people understood where he was coming from, and that included everybody in our family. Yeah, he said some really cool things. Do you remember when I broke the we on the in the last <laughs> week? Yeah, um, I, uh, I, uh, I, we we used to love playing like Mario Kart. And I think it was like his last week of life. Uh, it could have been the last couple of weeks, but I broke his Wii. I broke the screen. Felt terrible. Obviously, he was already not feeling well. And I broke the Wii, and I'm like, oh, man, this guy's going to be mad at me. 
um and i went and bought a new wii and everything but um i think he i think there was like maybe an hour or two that he was mad and then he uh we talked about it we were good we were playing madden again and he sent me like um like the store location of where i could get it fixed and uh he was over it um it was really cool because i was worried that he would be real mad at me and i remember just being like oh man in that moment it just felt so terrible um to break his weed because he he like loved that thing <laughs> <laughs> and uh got it fixed but it was really cool he just got over it i'm sure i remember you guys telling me too that you were worried that you know that he'd be angry at me or something like that but we were just fine right after <laughs> yeah he never was a, even as a kid he'd get mad and then it'd be all over yeah it's funny you mentioned that because even with me there's times he was mad at me but he never held it Mm-hmm. He never held being mad at me. I, I will give him so much credit for that. And I know that I'm sure I have my uh, things that I did that like like annoyed him. But he never held it. I have to give him a lot of credit for that, actually, now that you mention it. He just would let it go. Um, that's funny. Um, I guess we're getting to the end of the pod. And I know you guys have some things written down. Is there anything else that you guys want to say? Well, one thing I wanted to, um, two things, actually. Um, Drew seems to, you know, always be the elephant in the room. And as a grieving parent, I'm just sharing what what helps me. Um, often when I'm in a crowd, people seem afraid to mention Drew. And to be honest, it's just the opposite. I enjoy talking about him. And um, it gives me great pride and comfort to to speak about him. So I would encourage, you know, friends of people who have a similar situation to, you know, allow a grieving person to talk and not to feel as if, oh, should I mention it? Will I make them upset? Um, it's a comfort to talk about your loved one. The other thing I wanted to give a big thank you for all the people who have listened to the podcast and then taken the time to write something. Um, and I know Hasban has been amazing about sharing those texts with us. And inevitably, it seems as though I'm having a really rough day and thinking, oh, how could this happen? And then suddenly one of those podcast texts will come through talking about how um, someone has listened and what a comfort and amazement, amazing guy Drew was. And that just brings me it full circle and it, it makes me feel so good. So thank you for that. Yeah, that's, that's a very good um, remembrance is when you send around those notes that people write into about the podcast, that those are so meaningful now. Um, when Drew first broached the subject that he was going to do this podcast, and I mean, I don't know how long ago that is, Haz, but is that like I think a year and about, a half ago? About two years ago now. We were walking to the beach, and he already had the blog going, and I'm like, man, you should talk about this. And uh, he did. He talked about it. We got the podcast equipment. It seemed like a big deal at first, big ordeal. We messed up a lot in the beginning, but we kept going. And uh, yeah. He he touched a lot of people. I, when we started reading his blogs originally, we were like, holy cow, did you know that Drew could write that well? Yeah. He was just a great writer. And then you guys got the podcast going. 
and um, we weren't sure, like, well, what's it going to be about? And, <laughs> and then, you know, you guys had that period where you were trying to come up, like, with a name for it. <laughs> and then when we heard it was Death with Dignity, um, we were like, wow, you're really tackling a pretty heavy subject. And we all remember, like, Drew saying, yeah, I'm going to do two or three or four of these things. And then, you know, it's turned out, I don't know how many, there's like, what? 21. 21, okay. Just hard to believe. And there's a lot of just great information in there. Um, I think the thing that when you ask about how, like, what's helpful moving forward, the best part about the memories of Drew, and I, they happen at both services. Like We had a pretty informal services, but the best part was when we asked everybody if they had a story they wanted to share about Drew, and they would come up and share that story. And that was the best part of those services. And you know, even today, when we all get together, we all share ser- you know, stories about Drew, and talking about him in that way is what you know, makes it just a little bit easier each day. Yeah, I think about grief a lot. And uh, I'll be real, you're talking about Drew being that like elephant in the room. Um, you know, everyone's going through it differently. I've noticed even with your family, with different family members, some people like talking about him more. Some people just don't like to talk about it like as much. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know that you talked about your papa too when he lost... Um, his wife um, and how he just got rid of everything of hers. And it seems like uh, everyone has their own way of going through it. Um, We grieve differently, but I personally love to hear stories about him and (sighs) just the stuff that he did. Um, I think that's one of the, yeah, I don't know. It's just a way to like, uh, I remember him and regarding the podcast, uh, Steve, the one thing that I wish I could just go back is, my favorite episodes are really just when he talked when and it was cool that he in, in, interviewed all the guests and that's what it became like about about you know other people's stories but i if i could go back i would just sit with him and we would smoke a j or two and just record like three <laughs> or four more episodes about just stuff we wanted to talk about and yeah that's probably like just something i think about like a lot but you know that's we still did 21 episodes and you're right, like, what a heavy subject to talk about. People do get really uncomfortable. And he sat with his mom, and credit to both of you, and that episode, like, it's something that, I was in that room with you guys, but I felt like it was, there was a space that was created between you two, and I'll just never really forget that moment. And it was so heavy, and that dude could just go so deep and do it with such grace and he had a way with words where if I try to talk that deep, I feel like I would say the wrong thing or, you know, use the wrong words, but he he was just so precise with the speech and language and that podcast that you two have done. I mean, that's, that was just like amazing. Yeah, that was an honor. Something I'll always remember. Yeah. That room, that was a special hour or hour and a half, whatever it was. Um, Yeah. But um, unless you guys got anything else to say, I know it's already a heavy episode, um, heavy topic. Very courageous of you guys to sit down here and do this. I wanted to ask you to, but I wasn't sure either, you know. I was like, do I ask? And when you asked me to like do this, I was so happy 
I've been wanting to get into the podcast and people have been telling me I should do it more and there's more stories to hear and tell and I want to continue this doing some way and you know continue yes. this awesome thing that he left for us and for the world um yeah do you that guys sounds have any like final a good th- plan <laughs> yeah I'll try to make it happen I just want to say again thank you for listening you know we hope that some part of this touches you or you can pass it along to someone else who's in a situation. And again, thank you for reaching out. Yeah. Uh, a lot of people reached out and anyone that has just want to thank you guys because those messages, they make my day. That's for sure. Um, and we hope that you're able to continue to do a podcast every now and then has when, when you can, because <laughs> It seems like it really helps an awful lot of people, and and you guys did a great job with it. So, sh- surely encourage you guys moving forward. For sure, I'll try to uh, do the best I can. It was really nice when Andrew did all the talking, and I could just ask a couple questions. Uh, I felt really comfortable in that role, um, but I feel like uh, I got to hear him speak and uh, become a better speaker myself. He was like I always say, like his. In talent was, I think it's a special ed teacher thing, just explaining stuff and talking real slow and being precise with your language and always kind of having like, you know, a cool way of speaking. Um, I don't think I can uh, get to that level, but um, I'll do my best to carry this thing on and forward. Um, all right, everybody, I think we're going to um, end this episode. We thank you for a listening and Steve and Susie, you guys are like warriors for joining us and kind of carrying Drew's legacy forward by being just as strong as he was. And um, I've told you guys this in person, but, um, you know, you guys raised such an awesome man and you should be so proud of that. And like he does touch so many lives and whatever you guys were doing, you were doing it right. (laughs) Because the thing I always say about him from the outside is I've met a lot of different types of people and, you know, people are just shaped by their environment so much. And they're like a product of where they're from, whether it's Naperville or Chicago or whatever it is. But he kind of stood on his own. He was just like a person that went 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 beyond those like labels and boxes. And yeah, so here's to Drew. Love you, Drew. Love you, Drew. Take care, everybody. <laughs>